Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, Kim. Oh, good morning, Annie. Yeah, how have you been? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, been a busy week for you? Yeah, busy. Yeah, you're getting ready for a conference, aren't you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody is getting ready for the year. The uh, universities are beginning next year, uh, next week, not next year, next week. Next week's O week, at least this, it depends on the university, I think. And then the week after that is the first week of semester, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and there's uh, no running on the grass. Yes, yes, of course. That's right. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim. We've got lots of things to present to you this morning to go with your Wheaties. If you're under the doona, which uh, I must say, when I woke up this morning, I thought, oh, I could sleep for longer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There's going to be a big event on tonight. It's White Night, uh, the fabulous White Night, very expensive tourist event, local event. Uh, going to have swarms of people coming to the uh, CBD this evening. But there's also going to be a homeless sleepover protest, I expect, talk out outside uh, State Library. And uh, they're going to start at 8 and they're going to go till 6 the next day uh, to keep people aware that uh, 28 days it's ticking, that the uh, Melbourne City Council has uh, is trying to pass bylaws that will make it illegal to uh, sleep rough in the CBD. It's going to. It also covers uh, bylaws that, uh, well, laws I guess that uh, discourage. They're going to do a, a, a information in inverted commas. Some call it disinformation campaign around ensuring that people will not help people who are homeless in the CBD. So, for example, the other day I actually met a woman who is part of a collective that goes up on Friday nights to the Vic Market uh, car park and give showers to people, uh, provide facilities for Could that be showers. breaking the law? Well, that's what she said. She's a law student. She said, we're now technically will be illegal. And How the, disgusting. Yeah, that's right. And she says at, on Friday nights up there, it's a, a bit of a community because people bring uh, food. You know, there's a van that get, brings food. There's the showers. There. Also, there's people who do things like offer their skills. Uh, there's a woman, she said, that, you know, who was homeless but then got herself uh, qualified as a hairdresser and who comes up there and uh, cuts people's hair. That's oh. Isn't that a sweet deal? It is. It's great. People are giving back. 
So anyway, all those people will be acting in an illegal manner, Kim. Yes. Well, I suppose they're trying to remake us in their own image, aren't they? <laughs> Cold-hearted. Have you you've heard cruel. that you've heard that that thing about uh, uh, someone being so bad that they um, they get reincarnated in as themselves? Oh, I, I think someone <laughs> did someone say that about Donald Trump? Yeah, and now someone's now said it about uh, someone closer. I think it was Senator Darren Hinch. <laughs> Which is a bit. It's, it's like that. That that's a a really interesting sort of whisper campaign, you know, where Chinese whispers, where it, or Australian whispers, English whispers, whatever, um, where uh, a joke starts with Trump but ends up with someone else. You know, it's an all all purpose joke, really, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim. What have we got on the program? Yes, um, well, we've got a couple of things. We've got some, we're going to be talking about public transport and how it should be free. Yep, we are. And we're going to then uh, talk, oh, uh, then uh, Vivian Langford from the uh, Beyond Zero Emissions has given us a report of the uh, uh, Friends of the Earth rally uh, supporting renewables after the debacle that's been going, another debacle, my favourite word, debacle, uh, regarding uh the federal government's attempts to take over the entire energy area because I guess they want to serve it up to the coal industry and the fracking industry because uh, we'll yeah. get blackouts. We need security. That word again. Yeah, this is actually a fake news campaign by the Liberal Party because That's these right. blackouts are not being caused by renewables. It's just absolute bollocks. That's exactly right. They just won't listen. And later on, we're going to be talking to a quite an interesting fellow called uh, David Giles, who's a lecturer at uh, Deakin University, who is an anthropologist, but he's, his interest is in urban uh, landscapes and people within them. And he's got a lot of interesting information about uh, bylaws, local councils uh, in places like Seattle, who are at, basically attacking homelessness homeless people and he can give us some information about not only the laws that they've applied but also the outcome. I'm also interested in the architecture you know around the cities and how you know near uh, train stations and bus stops you feel like I start to realize oh the reason they've put in these seats which are impossible to sit on that you may only lean against is they're trying to make it uninhabitable for people. That's exactly right. They actually do do that. They um, they ensure that people can't lie down. They don't want people to lie down. You look at all the new modern uh, seats, and there's quite a, quite a few of them. In fact, have uh, 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 dividers. You know, little, inappropriate yeah, armrests. Yeah, little, little pimply type thing, uh, raising things for people to to tell you how. Well, I suppose. Well, actually, I was reading a book with a woman in it who's considered to be traditionally built, and she goes into a coffee shop and says, all the seats are uncomfortable because they're not big enough for her. And she says, uh, what what are people supposed to do who are traditionally built? Uh, wait around for all those uh, skinny people to sit down? <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. They're just telling... on the skinny people, I yeah. think. <laughs> that's right. Down, Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. 
The Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians, in order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 94198377 now. Well, I'm not entirely sure you should ring right now, but uh, we love your support. It is Subscriber Drive. It's Subscriber Week. Season? Season? Yeah. 13th <laughs> to the 19th. That's what it is. Subscriptions to 3CR, which is not the same as a Radiothon. Radiothon is all about your great feelings towards maintain- maintenance of the place. But this is the bread and butter stuff to do with running a community radio station. This is being part of being a member. You yeah. become a member. Putting a sticker on the back of your car or someone else's That's car right. if you don't have a car. I don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> a member. You you become a member and you're able and there are actual things to do with being a member. You can actually become a a member of the uh federation or the uh there's a a, a um governing body for three C R and part of that structure is the uh, federation. You yeah, can you can get member. involved. You can you can become involved. That's right. You can even become put your name down to be a uh a subscriber member of the Com Committee, which is the committee that actually uh, uh, steers the ship at 3CR. Anyway, by the by, you're also just showing that you're one of one of us. You're one of us. So uh, the subscription rates are seventy dollars for the waged and uh, one hundred and thirty dollars solidarity, but also thirty five for pensioners and concession people. So. Uh, Nine four one nine eight three seven seven. Probably best to ring during business hours. Uh, you can always also go online, and uh, then you'll make sure that uh, programs like Solidarity Breakfast continue. But uh, so we don't irritate you endlessly with stuff like that. Um, let's continue with the public transport stuff because, like, uh, if you were listening to. Uh, uh, stick together. Um, I did a little report that uh, showed you some of the reasons for why it was a good idea for uh, trying to take, you know, really quite impressive that the rail, tram and bus union are launching this. Uh, and it came from the members, as uh, Aluba Gugagoria said. I think I've got said that correctly. I'm, I love that name. She's fantastic, uh, blazing light. Uh, Luba, uh, the uh, secretary, Victorian secretary of the RTBU, and um, not only photogenic but uh, completely steel. Yeah, completely steel. It's quite amazing. In fact, she looks a little bit like the, uh, you know, the uh, storming the bank barricades, French uh, Revolution picture. You know, with the flag, with the woman. Jumping over the barricades, <laughs> she looks a little bit like, but I'm sure she's more considered. But anyway, by the by, um, this is a big deal because uh, uh, you know uh, the whole concept of uh, rolling back privatisation. You know this idea mm. that you know the private industry does such a great job, right? And uh, you know public uh, running services is just you know so old hat, and we just do a bad job and all that sort of stuff. 
Rubbish. Um, it's like the students, uh, their campaign to make education free again. You see how they've yeah. taken a slogan from Trump that's, and twisted it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool too. And uh, they're right. They're changing the argument. And, and But anyway, I, I had some other material. I spoke to some people who were there and some of them had some very interesting things to say about public transport and what they were worried about and what they'd like to have It'd be happen. good to have an insider's perspective if... If you like the... Yeah, yeah. So here we go. Why have you come to this community meeting about uh, returning public transport into public hands? Oh, the the whole idea of privatising public transport was bloody ridiculous, to put it bluntly. They... uh, uh, It should never have happened. Uh, First and foremost, the government uh, bodies can manage, uh, if they choose to do so, uh, more efficiently than private industry can in any case, simply because there's no profiteers in the middle of it taking money out that uh, can be spent on the infrastructure and uh, uh, looking after the uh, people who work in the industry. Just as a side issue, uh, I was just on the tram and a flock of those... uh uh, inspectors got on looking at everybody's tickets. What's your opinion of uh, this sort of slightly uh, aggressive method of ensuring that people have paid for their fares? Well, I think the thing that uh, should have happened is that the conductors should have stayed on the trams in the way they used to be when I was young. And uh, the uh, conductor then is... Uh, essentially a safety officer. Uh, They collect fares as well uh, and things like that. Well, you could still have a a card system or more modern system of that type of thing if you wanted to. But um, I believe uh, from my experience travelling on public transport in some of the areas that um, we need uh, permanent people on the tram as, as, as basically like the conductor used to be as a safety uh, and welfare, well-being type person that uh, uh, has control of the tram in the event or the, or the, or the bus in the event that uh, uh, something goes wrong or passengers need assistance or things like that. And uh, I don't know how many of these ticket inspector characters they've got, but uh, I firmly think that they could... Uh, uh, maybe have a few more uh, and turn them all into uh, into conductors and go back to having conductors on, especially on trams. Do you think? Do you think that it's just a bugbear of mine? Do you, Do you think that uh, having um, inspectors like this is changing the way people relate to public transport? That they're controlling people in in a way that, in a kind of subtle way, they're making people into potential criminals. Uh, I don't know about that. It's very difficult to work uh, anything like that out. The perception changes with different people and the way they see it. So um, I just think it's a very inefficient way to operate. Can I ask you why you've come to this meeting today? Um, I guess I've been involved in the the transport planning issues for quite some time uh, and... uh, keen to uh, hear how, not, not so much what people want to do, but how they want it to work. And um, Do you think it was retrograde to privatise? What are the you know, issues, anyway? Um, 
Oh, I think there were some disastrous decisions made in the Kennedy era that aren't just that, um, and that we've been paying for ever since. Um, uh, and we we need to work out how we go forward. There's a there's a problem of things staying in complete public bureaucratic hands as well. With with often practices become so entrenched that you can't improve the system. Uh, but privatisation hasn't really helped in that because it was done to save costs. It was it was always premised on public transport reducing rather than increasing and that everybody was going to drive cars without any thought that we can't build any more roads. So, um, you know, we have a, a significant problem and I'm interested to hear whether there's some actual breakthroughs in the solutions or whether it's just a let's go back to, um, you know, what we imagined we once had and it was never what we really had, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but what, what do you reckon would be uh, the best outcomes? Um, what would you like? I'd certainly like whatever structure it is has a much uses the today's technologies to get a much better feedback from the user base as to where improvements can be made, where there are issues. This is a tends to be, no matter whether it's private or public, there tends to be an, an insularity to whoever is running the system and they actually don't want to hear what their clients are telling them and, and I think we desperately need to, to set up a system which is really responsive to, to needs and to perceived issues and it just is taking far too long under the current system and it had to, to um, resolve issues to um, now even simple proposals you know there's been so many inquiries and things going on I've been to several of them around the state on, on improving uh, transport things but very little progress happens um, because the people who come into them are either defending their turf or or they've come in with their solution and they're, they're not really consulting. So, And there's a very intelligent community out there, which we proved with the East Westlink campaign, which was basically a campaign for public transport anyway. Um, and the, you, know, you, you actually have to work with the community, not consider the community to be... You know, just these these you know people who pro- provide demand and cash. Uh, uh, I'm really interested that the union, the uh, RTB, oh, okay. the, the, the the RTBU, have actually called this meeting. You know, it's sort of yeah. well, yeah. Look, there are signs that there's some interest there, and we we do have. You know, we've had issues there. We've had, the, to me, the overreach of authorised officers and the overreach of uh, PSOs and things like that that provide a very chilling uh, atmosphere in the system, whereas you actually really want the people who are using the system to consider they have some equity, not that they're people who are there to be controlled and, and, and managed. And, and, you know, I mean, I remember what it was like as a kid. I was fortunate to be born and brought up you know, um, 100 metres from a train station. So, you know, I've lived with it for 21 years and then went driving for a few, and then the last 10 years I've been back on, primarily on public transport and just because I wanted to be. And, uh, you know, your eyes are opened every day by things that go on. And um, so you, you need to... Um, you know, we, we actually need... Hold the uh, Well, we need... Yeah, but it's not... It's, no, we actually need to engage. We need to actually... There are so many public transport advocacy groups running around the state at the moment. Every regional area wants their trains back. Um, 
the, the Moonda people have done a, a oh, the South Morang Moonda people have done a terrific job because they've been constructive and they haven't been trying to stop something, they've been trying to start something. And, and, but other groups that are trying to do that, um, like the, the Regional Rail Alliance, who are trying to do something on the interconnects from um, Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo and Maryborough, and that and haven't, haven't managed the same traction. There's the same problems in Mildura, Horsham, Portland, um, yeah, everywhere. The, the, the under-servicing, the why all these trains stop at Seymour when there's, when there's this massive centre at Shepparton just up the line instead of going, why, why things like that aren't fixed already is because we have a... We build into these systems and, and the union, if they're going to be the progressive force in this, they've actually got to do it not just with their members in mind but with the, the user base and the potential user base. I mean, rail... rail has always and will always be a better catalyst to development than roads because it, it has this feel of permanence, this feel of... Now, Kennet kind of broke that, but it's coming back gradually. That people but have, it's also the PSOs and the whole idea of that. It's divided. It's a, a step towards dividing the community into two different types of people. Well... Well, you know, I was on the tram coming here and there was uh, some of the inspectors for tickets and uh, what I really got the impression of was the people who can, who can afford to pay for the ticket are good people and people who can't afford to buy the ticket are bad people. It becomes a moral issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on any of that, but I'd also not going to be the, 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 the single issue that I focus on. I, I'm much more concerned that we we institutionalise responsiveness to these alternate thoughts, so things like so that people will listen to what you're saying and actually have a look at how we adjust the system. As I said, I, I mean, I was always, I always wanted to go and for a word, vandalise some of those signs that said, fare evasion's costing you 80 million a year and saying it's costing you 4 cents a day, which is what it's costing you. You know, there is this, this misperception that, that people jumping on law and order bandwagons um, that they want the authority, and what you get from that's Donald Trump. You know, ultimately that's the road to getting public support for Donald Trump. Is keep all the, you know, keep half the population fearful, um, and that's you know that's very much permeates Australian politics as well. So the minute you force this, you know, oh well, authority is going to look after you. Authority, I just sorry, you 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 actually need to engage the people who care. Michael O'Connor, why do you think this is a touchstone issue? Oh, I think it's very important that uh, assets that should be owned by the community are owned by the community and run by the community and for the interest of the community. And I think this is a really important issue. Public transport's very important. And I think uh, the fact that this union is stepping up to lead the campaign is fantastic. And I hope the whole trade union movement and the community gets behind it, and I'm sure they will. So it's a, it's a business about being a progressive, uh, have, you know, showing that unions are actually part of the whole conversation of social progress, right? Well, certainly, we have a broad agenda. It's not just about the workplace, but it's the quality of life that we lead, and you know, public transport is essential to having a good quality of life, and uh, it's about equity, about how people can you know, not be isolated in their communities, can move around the metropolitan area, and as I said, this is a great campaign, and um, it's, we're very proud to get behind it. Do you want to tell me why the NMF have come out here in support of this? <laughs> yeah, why are you here? Because of, because it's public transport. It should be public transport. Okay, how does it affect your members? 
Well, our members, like you know, a large demographic part of the demographic, you know, need and use and prefer um, an option other than uh, being caught up in uh, you know the increasing numbers of um, of gridlock. So, do you think that uh, taking it back out of private hands is going to be a positive step? It'll be a positive step as long as the government commits to understanding that it is a benefit to all. Uh, you know, it hasn't improved since it's been in the ownership of, of, of private consortiums. It, um, you know, and, and it never, it, it, in my estimation and through personal contact with members that actively use it, um, you know, it, it's a frustrating undertaking to get to work. It's, it's really important to be able to get to work, know that, you know, you can, you, that you're, you're doing the right thing by, um, you know, your own moral compass and that you're looking after the environment, you're doing a whole range of things, you know, it's a, it's a public, um, it, it's, a, it's a public utility and, you know, and the public want to use it, but they'll only use it if, if, it, if it is, um, you know, catered for and it is um, maintained, um, you know, with adequate resource. Hi, I'm Stuart. Hi, I'm Marita. We are the Orb Weavers, and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital radio. And streaming at 3cr.org.au. For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Yes, subscriber drive. Subscribing to 3CR means that you become a member. You're not just a listener, you're a member. You're absolutely supporting the station that gives you the entertainment and the news, the real news, Hmm. which is uh, what we're going to do next, actually, on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim. We're going to go down to – it was down at the – I think it was at the Caulfield Racecourse, which is a bit odd. I don't know if I've got that correct. But uh, there was the Friends of the Earth had a rally – uh, that on it was on Valentine's Day actually, <laughs> no. and uh, as the person at the end of the uh, segment says, uh, they they went off to Matthew Guy's office in uh, because they thought he'd be in residence, and uh, he's the uh, opposition leader in Victoria, and uh, they were going to talk about betrayal. <laughs> we're just going to have a quick chat about betrayal. That's right. <laughs> anyway. Uh, this is about the renewals, uh, renewable. Um, you, on the financial uh, review just the other day, this is, uh, in fact, it was the day before. Uh, it was uh, 
Monday the 13th of February. And what they've got on the front, this is after there was the blackouts on the weekend from the uh, south in South Australia. Now, that was fascinating because I was sitting there thinking, this is a lead-up to a publicity campaign. They, What do they want? What do they want? When, when there's a major blackout like that, uh, and it's happened before in South Australia, and if you've done any investigation of how our grid works these days, you'll realise that it's uh, not operating in a way that... Uh, is as transparent as it appears. You know, it's it's mm. it's you know they take um, energy from one group of people to another and all of this stuff. And it was also very interesting to note that when you know how people uh, create, you know that they've got solar power uh, panels and stuff like that. And the idea is that you generate a certain amount of power for your. Uh, household, and then mm. if you've got excess, it goes into the system, and then the system pays you. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, even though the cost of uh, to the consumer has gone up, it act they, the people who are putting renewable energy power onto the grid, they didn't get the same level of return as is being reflected in all of our bills. Right. So they took their power is that yeah yeah yeah. no the, the rate is just not as uh as compelling as you'd expect it to be right hmm. so those those inducements to uh go into you know to change our system over from you know centralized power uh generation which is what's going on uh there's an addiction to the concept of centralized creation of uh energy uh, you know, that that whole idea that uh, – because, you see, if you want to be sustainable, it's pretty clear that if you want to be sustainable, what you need to do is actually stop expecting that you're going to be using one source of power. You actually have to change the way mm. you behave and the way you think. So, uh, for example, when we went to the bush, one of the things that we found so entertaining was coming down to a town and then standing there and turning the light on and off because it was such a, a, a easy thing to do. and I formulated... What did you do before that? No, but see, up in the bush, what we used to do was come... And this is where I come up with this notion of you have to actually think about what you do. So we'd use a tilly lamp for really good light at night, which is a kerosene-based uh, little light that you have to... But you have to learn how to use the mantle and you have to turn it on. And then it gives you the most glorious light and actually, the tilly lamp that we used to use belonged to my grandfather, and it was a 1930s model. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Yeah, things like how do you uh, have a um, how do you have a fridge in the bush? What you do is you have a kerosene fridge. It's run by kerosene. Um. Or instead of if you don't use electricity uh, for running a whole range of other things, you might have an LGP gas cylinder that you uh, replace every month. Right. All I'm getting at is that you ultimately think about what it is that you're doing. Mm. And the, the, what we've got is a system that uh, means that the ordinary consumer, as it were, the ordinary consumer, the consumer doesn't actually think about any of this. And this is an idea of consumption that was created in the 1950s, because before that, I'll swear, you know, if you go back and read any of the stories, uh, you know, just novels, uh, from, you know, because novels started in about the 1860s, 1840s, novels, uh, where they talk about incidental uh, living arrangements, you'll find that a whole range of different things are done to achieve the same level 
of uh, consumer uh, satisfaction mm. that we have today. That's what it's based on. But it's a very small period of history that this has been the case. And yes, it's luxurious, as I said, to go and stand there and turn lights on and off or flush toilets. And then it all disappears. <laughs> I mean, really, the things that... And I can remember thinking, you know what, when people talk about what is the what is the invention that changed people's lives? And I swear it's something like the gas cooker and the washing machine. Yeah, I mean, I do have heard stories of, you know, especially for women at taking up so their whole day doing oh, yeah. washing in these ginormous pots that they had to keep it. And, and also if you've got a wood or um, that kind of stove, you have to keep it running all day. The other thing with the energy grid, we're just talking about renewable energy, and I think I heard this somewhere, is that the companies that run the grid have invested so much money in expanding the grid, like probably more than they'll get back from it, that – they're really worried about people going off the grid. They're really worried That's about solar. Right. They're worried about these lithium batteries where people can actually store energy. That's right. And they are desperately looking for some way that they can make these people pay despite being off the grid. Yeah, That's right. And so what we've got is this campaign that's being run to frighten people. And uh, so they're talking about energy security. This is what the Financial <laughs> Review is calling energy security because it's coming straight out of the Liberal Party. And interestingly enough, the person that's in charge of the Cabinet's Energy Committee is uh, Industry Minister Arthur Sinodinus. Oh, that crook. Yeah. The guy that was being um, drubbed by the ICAC yeah. investigation. So the point is that people within the population of Australia who really, you know, why would a person in their household know all this information, right? Uh, someone says to them that uh, Hazelwood's closing is going to cause blackouts. Well, in actual fact, I actually did an interview quite recently with some people down the uh, CFMEU character. Oh, the down down in after that de- that dreadful AGL debacle down in um, at uh, Loyang where they made a deal where they uh, mm. have cut people's wages and uh, to the modern award, which is, you know, just, you know, cutting their conditions and their wages. These are skilled workers. This man tells me, I asked him, is the world going to end if they close Hazelwood? And then he gave me quite explicit numbers regarding the energy that is created by all these different places. And in actual fact, it's just a crock of bull. It's just a crock of shit. It's just not true, right? (laughs) But on the Financial Review front page, it purports that, and and listen, Hazelwood closure risks blackout. It doesn't, it doesn't say it's going to happen. It risks. But of course. Is that the, even news, really? I mean, I could make no, headlines. Con- it, 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 no, it's, con- it's controlling and manipulative. Mm. Our relationship with the mainstream media controlling and manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> Except for 3CR. Yeah, that's exactly right. Anyway, that's why you should su- subscribe. <laughs> Nice segue. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's uh, Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim. I got all heated there. But anyway, let's let's hear what uh, happened down at the uh, Friends of the Earth Caulfield rally. So it's very clear that um, David Southwick, rather than being the shadow minister for renewables, he's clearly decided to stand against renewable energy. 
So we think he should, you know, reflect truth in advertising. That's something all Victorians can can take on board and, and change his title to the Shadow Minister against renewables. That's that's really the message that he's sending to the people of Victoria today. We need we need to have a, a more ambitious policy to grow renewables over time. At the same time, we saw Tony Abbott um, taking an ideological stance on renewables, um, undermining the federal renewable energy target and making savage cuts to the target. And what this did was, it had a huge impact on jobs and investment in Australia. Um, they cut the target um, to what they call a real 20%, but what that meant was um, investment dropped by about 90%, and about 2,500 people lost their jobs. That's, that is an absolute shame. And so what we thought at the time was we want Victoria to be a bit of a sanctuary. Um, we want Victoria to lead on renewables and we want Victoria to lead on um, climate change. So we thought, well, if the federal government's attacking renewables at every chance they get, then we're going we're gonna to convince the government that a Victorian renewable energy target and an ambitious target is good for jobs and good for investment. And so that's what we've been doing the last few years. And all along that time, we've been saying the opposition, jobs, investment, innovation, that's something you can support. Um, so, yeah, just very disappointed um, in, in their decision to, to oppose it. I mean, you've all seen what's happening. Um, the conversation around renewable energy is becoming quite absurd. Um, we're seeing Trump-style politics in Australia. Um, we're seeing federal politicians lie and use crises for their own political advantage. Um, we are currently experiencing the impacts of climate change in Australia, whether it's extreme storms, um, heat waves, bushfires, and, you know, attacking renewables, a key part of the solution, is dangerous and absurd. Um, so this fight will continue. We, we are fully dedicated to the Victorian Renewable Energy Target as a community. You know, Yes Renewables, we campaigned on it for years. We're very proud of it. And we want to see every single wind farm built that's in that commitment. We want to see every solar farm built that is in that commitment. Every last megawatt of the Victorian Renewable Energy Target will be built, so we'll be taking that to the opposition. And if that means campaigning it over the next two years and it'll lead up to the next election, then so be it, because this is what we fought for and we're not going to give up um, just because um, you know the Shadow Minister against Renewables is giving Matthew Guy some dodgy advice. So... Thank you so much for coming today. Um, questions? Yeah. Questions? Yeah, any questions? Yes, I have a question. <laughs> what happened last week in the federal parliament, and maybe even in this parliament as well, to do with energy? There were some incredible things happening. Um, so what happened last week, um, we saw on the birthday of Gina Reinhardt, you know, one of the largest coal um, barons in the world, um, members of the federal government bring pieces of coal into the federal parliament um, and the other event that that, that day was um, also um, an anniversary of the, the Hazelwood mine fire and so um, that's pretty despicable that um, we have um, federal parliamentarians at a time when we're experiencing mass heat waves and huge bushfires in New South Wales bringing, bringing coal into the federal parliament. Um, and so we're, we're seeing the, the state opposition um, get into line with the climate change deniers at the, the federal level. Um, that's really disappointing. Um, you know, all parties can support jobs and investment, renewable energy, and, um, you know, we would really like to see the, the Matthew Guy opposition 
change their position to one that to a modern position that supports renewables. But what about the cover-up? There was the most incredible cover-up. I guess what we've seen is um, people using crises to attack renewables for ideological reasons. So there's been um, unanswered questions about the role of gas um, in causing um, price spikes in the energy market and and causing problems in the energy market. So um, it's no surprise then that um, we have people like Turney, um, Malcolm Turnbull um, ignoring the, the, the neutral advice of the Australian energy market operator that renewables had nothing to do with the blackout. And so um, that's, they've, they've lied to the Australian public yeah. and that's extremely disappointing. Um, and that's, you know, the failures of the federal government. It just reinforces how important it is that state governments take strong action. You know, we've seen the ACT lead with a 100% renewable energy target. And that has been huge for them. They've attracted about a billion dollars of new investment to such a small area. And we're going to see the same thing in Victoria. Um, it's going to happen whether the Liberals like it or not. And we'd like to see them come on board. Can I ask you, what's your strategy for renewable energy? Because there's a lot of companies that are investing in renewable energy. And for them to have certainty, what's the strategy for citizen action? Um, I mean, the strategy, this is, this is um, an example communities coming together to stand up for renewables um you know we we also work with um with business and in industry and um workers you know just just a couple of weeks ago myself and lee eubank were down in um portland speaking to the wind workers at keppel prince now they will be very disappointed um with the um the position that the um, the opposition has taken ideologically opposing renewables because they know that it's huge for jobs it's new manufacturing opportunities in regional Victoria you know think of Geelong um, we've got the car industry um, that's that's leaving because of you know the federal government um, playing silly buggers and um, there are new opportunities for manufacturing and renewables so we should all get behind that because otherwise um, yeah, we're going to find job creation more difficult. Yeah. Don't have too much to add to what Pat's already said, but I think it's so great that you've all come out here today to show your support for renewable energy because really it is crazy that over the weekend all of the East Coast of Australia... I reckon let's take that as a show of support. Over the weekend, the East Coast of Australia... Yeah, so I think it's crazy that uh, what we've seen from the coalition this week is that in the face of climate change and global warming, their solution is to sabotage is to sabotage the actual solution, which is clean energy and Victorian communities shifting to clean, sustainable jobs and creating a better future for, for our country and, and our, our kids and, and everyone that matters to us. So I just wanted to say a big thanks for you for coming. We think that this is shaping up to be... A pretty big, a pretty big issue, and something that's gonna we're gonna keep hearing about until the next election in Victoria next year, and the next federal election as well. Uh, so I'm really glad that you guys are here, and I hope you're ready for a pretty big fight. Uh, I was pretty scared to see the state coalitions falling into line with the crap that we've been seeing from the federal government on coal and on renewables recently. So. Uh, if you guys are able, after this we're going to head over to Matthew Guy's office. He's the leader of the coalition in Victoria. He's got an office in Berlin. We think he's there today. And we want to show up with some flyers explaining all the things that they've done recently. Uh, with, some, with some people power, really. And uh, we thought because 
It's Valentine's Day and this is kind of a sad thing to be doing on Valentine's Day. We've got a bit of a playlist of songs about betrayal and, <laughs> and hurt and scorned lovers that we just wanted to play in honour of renewables. So if you guys want to join us later, a bunch of us have cars with extra seats in them. So come chat to me, Jane, Adele, anybody else with a spare car that's heading over to Boleyn. Awesome. So come chat to us. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. And thanks to uh, Vivian Langford from BZE team. They're on Monday at 5 p.m., for all true environmental news for that report. <laughs> yeah, you have to really specify these days. I know I want the true true environmental news, not the <laughs> fake stuff. <laughs> That's actually really quite funny because on Facebook there's this whole um, – there's this piece from uh, Trump's latest press uh, conference <laughs> and um, they've done it literally, like what he actually said, and – it, it's like going back to Bielke Peterson period where... Oh, right. I didn't hear his speeches. Yeah, no, what Bielke Peterson used to... Except that Bielke Peterson had a, a really great trick. What he used to do is he appeared to be incoherent. And I've got a suspicion that Trump is incoherent. Um, <laughs> but uh, what... Um, what uh, Bielke Peterson used to do was uh, he'd start sentences but not finish them. And what he was really doing was setting off, he'd do it five times usually, and what he was doing was setting off five triggers for different people's fear responses. It was quite fascinating to listen to because I used to think, because I was young then, and I used to think, uh, what, this man's a fucking mo- I'm sorry, he's a moron. But in actual fact, then I thought, no, no, he's actually really powerful. So let's think about what it is that he's actually doing. And that was what he was doing. I can't even tell what Trump's saying, though. No, that's my point. I can't be scared because I'm too confused. Well, and also we're Australian, so you know we'll just have to put up with whatever it is they're doing, I'm assuming. That's true. I think he said something along the lines of, all oh, these leaks are so dangerous, like the one with the Australian Prime Minister. But imagine if it happened with something important. <laughs> That's what I mean, and it doesn't even make any sense. It's really odd. It's very odd. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim. I don't know, all the people who have got sort of half a brain and and also have an educated brain must be really, it must be doing their heads in. I heard someone saying that some sort of, oh, actually, yeah, it was on the news, but a couple of months ago there was some analyst saying how, um, oh, actually, you know, what Trump was doing, like with goading the CIA, um, that was going to be a little bit dangerous for him because they would later get revenge. I don't know whether that's true or not. Who would know what was true? But, you know, yeah. Go, they go, certainly have the ability. A, a dog is not, just not a good idea. Well, also people with the ability to get revenge as well. Yeah. He obviously hasn't read any of the James Elroy books. <laughs> There's this whole series of American books that analyse the uh, corrupt and uh, criminal nature of the mainstream power brokers in America that runs from, you know, the, uh, the, the assassination of JFK, Robert Kennedy and Luther King. They're quite extra- extraordinary books. James Elroy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there you go, a book recommendation. Uh, there's a book recommendation. Anyway, 
We've got more serious things to talk about than uh, silly old people from another country. Uh, Red Cinema pr- is presenting punks for West Papua. Uh, West Papua, seized by the Indonesians in 1969 uh, in a fraudulent vote. We know this. Uh, the uh, They're going to... With, with the complicity of Australia, the US and the United Nations, the Indonesian military have slaughtered nearly half a million Indigenous West Papuans in the years since. Punk for West Papua is an Australian-wide movement and the brainchild of Jody Bartello. Jody and his band Diggers with Attitude spearhead punks for West Papua. Uh, it's a film directed by Ash Brennan, narrated by Basha Bernowski. Uh, Bonowski, yeah, that's right. She, she, Basha Bonowski used to be on um, SBS. Uh, it's a runtime of 45 minutes and they're screening, followed by a presentation by a West Papua activist, Friday, February the 24th, 6.30pm. It's at the Resistance Centre. That's Level 5, 407 Swanston Street City. That's opposite... RMIT and it's good exercise walking up those stairs. It's $10 or $5. There's a vegetarian meal from 6pm. It's presented by Green Left Weekly and if you want more information 9639 That's 9639 And I'm going to be talking about a rally against one of Trump's besties, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, <laughs> who is also possibly his competitor and forerunner for being a right-wing crazy leader and terribly racist. Um, So there's a rally um, against Netanyahu. Melbourne says no to Netanyahu. Um, No welcome for war criminals. That's happening 2pm Sunday, which is tomorrow, the 19th of February at the State Library. And to find out more about that, you can go onto Facebook. There's a Facebook group or page called Melbourne Says No to Netanyahu, as well as a hashtag. So if you get um, any good pics on the day, you can post to the hashtag, which is hashtag uh, no to, as in the number two, Netanyahu. Good. Oh, and uh, just uh, quickly uh, before we go to this is the week that was Raw. That's W R A W Festival Women's Rights at Work starts on the first to the and goes to the ninth of March. It's uh, unionwomen.org.au for all the program. You uh, all you need to do is go online and get all this information about the Feminist Book Club, Stop Gender Violence at Work, Women's Footy Clinic. Go-Go Dancing for Change, <laughs> Campaigning and Chanting Workshop, Feminist Beer Brewing Workshop, Summer Breakfast mm. with Anne Summers, and International Women's Day Rally and After Party. So that's raw, women's rights at work. A weak solidarity, Briggy Team listener, when as the Caring Business Class Party announced it would go into coalition with that appalling Hoonsun with One Notion, uh, which is a misnomer because One Notion implies it has One Notion, but I suppose you can't call it No Notion, although the Caring Business Class Party couldn't say the No No Bit. It's, it yelled, yes, yes, and it was left to poor Barnacle and the Hayseed and Sheepshit Party to say the no-no bit from out in the cold, although with his usual impeccable logic, Barnacle then said that if he wasn't out in the cold, as in Queensland, he too would say, yes, yes. 
leading us to admire Barnacle's admirable principles just that little bit more. But the Minister for Trading Principles, Steve So Slow, said the Socialist Party had done deals with the Greens, and the Greens were the most extreme lefty loony party ever. Ever, he actually said ever, in the whole world. Oh, listener, if only. So how dare the Socialist Party criticise the caring business class party, and what a pity the Juno didn't ask then, could it say, how dare you criticise it, when it did that preference deal with the Greens, before it ratted on the Greens, and preferenced non-loony parties like the Dear Baby Jesus Man and a Woman Family First Party, and the Shooters and Killers and Fishers of Men Party, which also has something to do with the Dear Baby, but obviously only ratted because the Greens are the most extreme left loony party ever. And Malcolm said One Notion was now a sensible party with different policies to when it wasn't a sensible party. Back then, he pointed out, it mainly wanted to ban and exterminate Asians, whereas now it mainly wants to ban and exterminate Muslims. Not that it ignores Asians and all non-whites wherever they come from. Little Billy was outraged. In politics, you've got to stand for something. He exuded sincerity. Uh, yes, little Billy, what do you stand for? I stand for being Big Supremo. With that lot, as if we need any more, see we've got one more politician turning up this week. Oh no, not another Yahoo. Exactly. He has great respect for True Blue Aussie. He says Zion and True Blue Aussie have so much in common turning the original inhabitants into non-people, which means they weren't the original inhabitants because they are non-people and non-people don't need any land. And anyway, the barrier to peace in his case is the non-people will not accept Zion taking more and more of their non-people non-land and so taking more and more non-land is no barrier to peace. So he should get on a treat with Malcolm and Little Billy. A treat. That long-term supporter of True Blue Aussie workers, Derek Lynchum, agreed to ban unions after discussing the ban unions legislation with the key players, developers, builders, other caring employers, the chambers of profits, contractors, who assured him the world would come to an end if unions were allowed to behave like unions. And obviously, you would have talked to the unions and the workers themselves. Why? Well, to get both points of view. See, that's the problem. You're pitching worker against employer and employer against worker when the developers and builders and other caring employers and the chambers of profits and contractors all assured me they have the interests of their workers at heart and unions only interfere with that win-win relationship. So I got all points of view. And if unions do attempt to act like unions, lynch them. A few weeks ago, the Fair Work, No Longer Work Choices Just Looks Like It Commission threw out a non-union agreement on a technicality after an appeal by the Maritime Union, as, as evil a union as we could find. And now, due to this gross miscarriage of justice, the Minister for Freehills, uh, sorry, Minister for Caring Business Class Relations, Michaelia Kosh, the workers, is introducing legislation to ban unions from overturning non-union agreements on technicalities. 
little technicalities like workers will be worse off when we all know, like Darren knows, agreements reached between caring employers and lazy, avaricious workers without the interference of a non-related third party like a union are always win-win. Indeed, often win-win-win-win-win, caring employer Jim Bloated laughed. Macalia, brilliant caring employer lawyer that she is, explained that proper caring business class relations required her to change the law if or whenever caring employers lost a case, revealing the government's huge respect for the principle of the separation of powers. We must separate sensible judges from non-sensible judges who make this sort of irresponsible ruling on the flimsy excuse, the specious grounds, that it's the law. But, but let me assure you, it won't be the law much longer. We must protect poor caring employers from this irresponsibility. Still, if it's an anti-worker law, they're going to have to convince Darren and Nick Xenophobe, whose principled stand involves saying no until he says yes. And gee, it's hard to pick which way those two will go when it comes to bashing workers. Bringing us to this omnibus bill, something about public transport, obviously. Well, sort of, actually. It transports wealth from the undeserving riffraff to the most, most deserving filthy rich and getting filthy richer. We must slash services, well, abolish services to the most needy so we can help the most needy. Big economic guru Scuttlebeam Morlachstone explained the government's dilemma. And if the socialists refuse to pass this essential legislation, we will have to, reluctantly have to, increase taxes. Good God, so the massive tax cuts for the filthy rich go out the window. Good God, no. We have to increase taxes so we can slash taxes for the filthy rich, which is a win-win situation because the undeserving riffraff who will pay the increased tax will benefit from the filthy rich paying the slash tax. You mean not paying. Uh, whatever. Real win-win. The trickle-down effect, the drops of yellow liquid. Irrefutable figures produced for me independently by the sundry chambers of profits prove conclusively that if the filthy rich pay no tax, the benefits flow throughout the economy and therefore throughout the community. So our policy is driven solely by our concern for the undeserving riffraff. Any figures from the riffraff themselves, from unions, welfare groups? Of course not. I only act on reliable figures. On one level, the undeserving riffraff will experience a sort of trickle-down effect. The famous drops of yellow liquid, they'll be totally pissed off. That pissing-off specialist, the aforementioned Nick Xenophobe, he of the blackest of black hair, says he will oppose the omnibus smash the most needy bill, which by his standards is a real worry. Therefore a warning, as I record this, he hasn't yet announced his about face, his volt fast. After discussions with the government, great result, etc., etc. But by the time we go to air, who knows? Well, we will know. Meanwhile, the homeless in New South Wales are whooping it up as the answer to their little accommodation problems is nigh. The government up there has appointed recently retired Reserve Bank Big Supremo Glenn Stuffins to utilise his years of neoliberal oversighting to advise it on making housing affordable. That should do wonders for the problem.
No problem, apparently, with U.S. of the U.N. of the U.S. of the world, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor, because seems all those people around the world we thought were protesting over Donald's ban on seven Muslim countries, which Donald assures us has absolutely nothing to do with anti-Islam, Islamophobia. It's just anti-country, apparently, countryophobia. Seems they weren't protesting over the ban at all, for Donald told us he had not received even one comment on the White House comment line about the issue. Not one comment, not one. Very good. Which on one level is not so surprising, seeing yet another of Donald's directives designed to protect liberty, freedom and democracy was to close down the comment line. And, he added... There has not been one comment on the closed-down comment line about my closing down the comment line. Very good. Very good. Yes, why did you close it down? It posed a threat to democracy. It could be used by dangerous terrorists like so-called judges or those who support so-called judges or women who oppose my support for women who would otherwise suffer abortions or practice contraception or these same-sex unnatural bad people who oppose my ban on condoms. All these people who oppose my anti-country ban, it would be open to so much abuse, danger. Dangerous, very dangerous. So you say you've received no comments, but now say if it were there, you would have received comments. Don't put words in my mouth. I, I said we have received no comment showing everyone supports what I've done. The greatest support for a president ever, ever. Typical fake news. Very bad. Very evil. Actually, on his nexus between the mainstream media and fake news, we'd have to agree with Donald. This week's winner in the Trample the Poor Consistency Stakes, and there's a big field, Donald, who couldn't praise WikiLeaks highly enough during the campaign as he quoted its leak of details about Hillary's little email problems, now says leaking is evil and criminal and must be severely punished which finally may be 100% different to his views on the same subject next, uh, this time next week, if what drips from his mouth could ever be labelled views. Good morning. Well, there you go. So Kevin nails it again. <laughs> this is this the, uh, You're on uh, Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim, and in the studio we've got... Dr. David Giles. How are you, David? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Thanks for getting up in the morning and riding over here. (laughs) You are socially and morally correct. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Finally, after all this time. Yeah, that's right. We've got you in here because uh, of uh, your experience as an observer of activities in America regarding... Mm. homelessness and the reaction to it. Mm, that's right. Well, so I'm an anthropologist and I've done my field research with the chapter of Food Not Bombs in San Francisco. And for people who don't know it, Food Not Bombs is a sort of anarchist soup kitchen. Um, and, you know, they they do a fairly innocuous thing, which and is... And we have that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've In fact, I've been on um, uh, the... Uh, Chris Rust has a radio show, talks about Food Not Bombs. Um, yep, so there's On food... 3CR. Yep. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, Food Not Bombs is an international phenomenon, and they do this innocuous thing. They uh, share food freely with people who have been hungry, 
And the only thing is that they do it uh, in a sort of civilly disobedient way, which means they ignore the law. It turns out it's, it's usually uh, or very often illegal to share food in public spaces. Illegal uh, to feed hungry people. Yep, yep. It's And the law is different from city to city. It always has the effect, though, of making it difficult or constrained or just flat-out illegal to share food with people. And it's just one of a spate of laws uh, that are mainly designed to control where homeless people can be in public space. So I've done a lot of looking into, uh, you know, the law and just the the real politic that shapes the law about who can be in public space where. And that's in a, a number of locations in America? Yep, yep, that's right. I mean, in anywhere, pretty much anywhere where there are going to be uh, well-to-do people and homeless folks competing for the same space, these laws uh, are suggested. Yeah. Where do you think, or where did you notice that they were suggested first or where they've gone the furthest? I mean, you can go back to the 1500s, really. Oh, God. Uh, you know, the, the, with the birth of capitalism, uh, you had a whole bunch of people pushed off of the commons and suddenly they became landless. And so they had to wander the, the cities either looking for work or looking for arms. Uh, arms, A-L-M-S, not A-R-M-S. Well, maybe that too. Armlessness. Yeah. Um, and so from the 1500s on, you get these laws, these vagrancy acts, which are really punitive. You know, the original vagrancy acts made it uh, a crime punishable by uh, branding with a V and two years, oh of, two years of slavery if you couldn't find work within three days of being caught vagrant. Oh, my God. You know, and then... People you, weren't allowed to move from uh, town to town in England without permission. Well, yeah, you had to... Uh, you had to get, uh, I mean, under the feudal system. Yeah. You know, it's not that we, we sort of have basically a semi-feudal system now, though, um, except that you're, you're ejected from place to place in contemporary cities. That's right. You know, a good friend of mine has been homeless recently in the US, uh, and he was required to have, I think, $130 on him in order to stay in the city of Eureka, California, because that was the threshold to not be considered vagrant, and otherwise the police were going to run, run him out of town. Wow. You know, so they have all of these old, you know, statutes of various ages. But that, it's not just that. They, mm-hmm. People think that this is reasonable. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, the, the rhetoric you can hear in the Melbourne City Council about blight and public nuisance this and public safety that uh, is really very, very old. Um, but the, there's another answer to your question, which is these laws are probably about 30, 40 years old in the United States because the crisis of housing... Mm. is, you know, there have they've been waves of homelessness that correspond to all the various depressions they've had over the years. And so in the 20s and 30s, you know, following up on the, the depression, there were a whole, whole wave of other, you know, public order laws that kept people from doing this, that and the other thing in public space. Often they were used to control the movements of, of Indigenous people. But the most recent wave is since the 80s on, because that's also been uh, the spike in the number of people homeless in the U.S., Right, I think as Which well with corresponds this... with the rise of neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, with the subprime mortgage crisis, I don't know if these figures are still accurate, but mm-hmm. what I remember from the time was people talking about there were twenty-four empty homes per one mm-hmm. homeless person. Yep, absolutely. Oh, I mean, it, it depends how you measure it. There are twenty-four empty buildings of some sort. It, you know, uh, I've seen I've seen it rated as as little as six empty homes per person. You know, which is still terrible, mm. um, depending if you're counting homes or holiday homes or empty structures of any sort. 
Yeah, that's just extraordinary. So basically what they're saying, they literally are with these laws. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you were telling me something interesting about Seattle mm. and uh, how they the, basically the laws that they put in place just moved people from yep. their central business district. Yep, yep, that's right. I mean, the you know, the at first blush, it looks like the laws make it illegal to be homeless. Um, but then you have to look at where they're enforced. You know, so they, the laws pop up. Uh, when there are conflicts over public space. So they're enforced in those public spaces. You know, so in Seattle, for example, there's only... There's one place where you're allowed to share food outdoors, uh, and that way the city can kind of save face and they, they can say, no, we... We're not yeah, heartless. Exactly. We, we don't, We're not barbarians and monsters. That's right. So we don't prohibit public feeding. We just uh, permit it in a safe, acceptable location. And that safe, acceptable location turns out to be under the freeway uh, outside of the ride-free zone, uh, it's uphill, it's about a mile away from uh, most of the downtown shelters, uh, and it's you know so it's not accessible, um, and it's also so above you have all, to work for your poverty. Exactly, and above all, it's where nobody uh, can see you. Yeah, nobody with any business uh, or tourist dollars to to spend can see you. It does sound very similar in some ways to was happening in the Northern Territory intervention where you have this social engineering of people into spaces um, towards economic hubs or away from them. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So it's it, at first blush it looks like it's trying to make poor people or in that case Indigenous people just invisible. Uh, but if you, if you drill down, what it's actually doing is controlling uh, what people can and can't do with their bodies and it's sort of managing them as a population. You know, so you can be here, you can't be there... Um, and it, in a way, it it disciplines them uh, to fit into the economy a certain way. It institutionalises mm-hmm. them without being in the institution. Yep, yep, absolutely. I mean, it's cheaper than the workhouse. In the, you know, the nineteenth century in England, you know, the workhouse test was uh, if you were willing to endure the ignominy of the the workhouse, you must really be poor. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which actually, uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim, and uh, we're talking to uh, David Giles about his experience of uh, American laws around homelessness, and uh, which are very similar to the laws that the Melbourne City Council expects to be able to pass in, what is it? Uh, uh, less than 28 days. Less than mm-hmm. 28 days. Mm-hmm. You have the opportunity to actually make submissions which apparently, according to Mr Doyle, they will listen to. <laughs> anyway, mm. I, uh, I show my <laughs> <laughs> incredulity. <laughs> but um, anyway, mm. the uh, thing about uh, the business about um, moving people on and uh, c- uh, controlling people in this manner, mm. which I suppose we can talk about in a f- f- further uh, further, but uh, what interests me is the lack of responsibility that the society and the managers of society believe that they can wash their hands of a responsibility. They have, a, I mean, mm. these people are part of society. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not other. They are us. Oh, that's if you believe in society. Margaret Thatcher is famous for having said, "There's no such thing as society. There are only individuals and families." I think. Uh, which is the neoliberal credo that everybody's a self-made person, uh, and I, you know, it's hard to know to what extent people in the city council and people making these laws believe that, and to what extent they just feel compelled to act that way because that's the 
the dominant current. And also that business mm-hmm. about it's all based on charity, but not on mm-hmm. actually having a proper system. Indeed. Yeah, so the, uh, a colleague of mine describes charity in the US, and we're, we're further along in that direction in the US, but she describes charity as a sort of outsourced third tier of the welfare state. It's doing the job uh, of, you know, patching up and not so much helping as managing uh, the people who fall through the cracks. I mean, charity really says more about the people who are giving it, mm-hmm. not about the people who are receiving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And But it, it serves a function of disciplining people, more, at least as much as it serves the function of helping them. Have you seen uh, in your travels uh, the uh, connection between deserving and undeserving poor? Oh, over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's as if there's a playbook that people are reading from. You know, the city council... Uh, repeated exactly the same logic uh, a few weeks ago that that's in the Elizabethan poor laws. You know, the idea that uh, we can distinguish between who who really needs the help and who's a you know who's a good homeless person or who's a good poor person and who doesn't. Uh, and you know, and even even in uh, when charities are reaching out for donations, when they're reaching out for sympathy, they paint poor people uh, in this. You know, sort of humanised but condescending way, uh, in order to distinguish between good poor and bad poor. Yeah, it's it's quite creepy. Mm. Where do you think this pressure is coming from, um, in terms of on the city council? From, mm-hmm. um, I suppose you said it's a lot of places to do with having that concentration of homeless people and a concentration of very very mm-hmm. wealthy people, which I guess is a gap that is growing worldwide. Yep. Yep. Um, in Australia, in Melbourne, uh, where do you think that pressure is coming from? Um, I mean, it's always, always, almost always got to do with uh, specific business interests complaining to the, the city council. I mean, in a way, if you are the, the city, um, your job is to respond to complaints. And so in, in Seattle, the way it works is that people go to the, the, neighbourhood, the Department of Neighbourhoods or they go to the Department of Human Services or they just go straight to the mayor's office and they register their frothy, angry, not-in-my-backyard complaint. And then the city gets enough of these complaints. Um, and, of course, the people who they listen to the most are the people who have the most money to spend. So developers, businesses, um, you know, maybe they get complaints from tourists or people with an address. Uh, and so when I've talked to people in the city in Seattle, they refer to resident complaints sort of naively because it's as if they've forgotten that homeless people are residents as well. Uh, and so they... Well, they're, they're perpetuating the notion of them and us. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, and so then these complaints crop up where, you know, in high gentrification areas where it's, it's suddenly a new business opportunity uh, and you've got people with a lot of money riding on the one potential direction the neighbourhood might go. Uh, another another frequent component of these things is the privatisation of public space. Mm. So, um, you know, if they've got public-private partnerships, you know, and the politicians and the developers are just set to build their shining version of what the city will look like, and then they've got these people in their way somehow. Yeah, it's pretty. It's really uh, quite disgusting. This business about uh, taking over public spaces. I mean, for example, Federation Square mm. is uh, people would think is a public space, but actually it's operated by a private operator. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of people who are very angry about the uh, selling off mm-hmm. of uh, pri- uh, public spaces. People um, aren't really understanding that the homelessness issue is an issue for all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the uh, the level of moving away from the responsibility of uh, the society for all members. Is, is one step at a time, isn't it? One step at a time away mm. from people because that thing about uh, of this whole discussion that the Melbourne City Council is putting forward is really a justification mm-hmm. for... Because I heard them say, and you were there, mm-hmm. I heard all of them say, we really care. And they it's always... It's actually about security. They always say that. It's you know, really disgusting. It's but, a bit like dog owners who say, he won't bite. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the lie is obvious. If they really cared, uh, and that was their primary motivation, then they would offer the, offer the outreach and not criminalise sleeping. But um, but this has been, yeah. Every time a city brings in these kind of crackdown laws, Seattle did it, San Francisco did it, uh, New York City did it all in the uh, in the early nineties. Um, they're all they're all brought in with with these sort of gentle euphemisms so uh seattle called them civility laws new york city called them quality of life laws uh and they never say whose quality of life they never say civility for who or whom sorry and then they always uh, they always suggest that they'll also offer more services you know so there's the sort of carrot and the stick but there's never the political will to spend enough money on the services uh, and they never acknowledged that if they spent enough money on the services, they wouldn't need the stick in the first place. Um, it's fascinating because in this business mm-hmm. about in the Melbourne CBD, mm-hmm. uh, each time people have been moved on, there's been flashpoints. There was a mm-hmm. flashpoint down at uh, Flinders Street. There's mm-hmm. been flashpoints in other places. Each time we've had a minister from the government as well as people from the council talking about how... Uh, these people all have opportunities for pathways. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in my local paper this mm-hmm. week, so it's obviously having an effect, mm-hmm. they're talking about how the police are up, uh, increasing their uh, uh, walking patrols and talking to homeless people to ensure that they are in pathways mm-hmm. to secure housing or mental health issues or whatever. Yeah. Uh, as if this... So it's all under control, as if the it's the homeless person, the individual homeless person who is the problem mm-hmm. and that we should be offering them a charity response. But what's fascinating mm-hmm. is that even though Martin Foley has stood there and said, I've seen his arrogant face on the, pay, on the on TV saying, these people are being offered... Uh, places to go. It's mm-hmm. only three three days. It's almost invariably three days at a motel. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, that's right. The, what most people, if you've never experienced homelessness, you haven't ever really had to weigh your options. So yeah, it's really easy to say there's a pathway, uh, and for, to just leave it at that. You know, I, look, I've done this research for over ten years, and I've not once, not once, met someone who wouldn't in an ideal world, prefer to be dry and safe. Uh, but people have to make the best best decisions they can. Uh, and often the pathway that's being offered to them isn't really a pathway. You know, it's it, it, may, it may not be a pathway at all. It might be three days accommodation um, or it might be the most 
unsuitable pathway. It might be uh, it might be three days accommodation and then a, a rooming house that turns out to be unsafe, a rooming house that turns out to cost all of their money so they can't save anything, so they can't ever get ahead. It might turn out to be full of bed bugs. Uh, you know, a friend of mine uh, who was homeless for a long time in Seattle schooled me in this really, really early on. I gave him a long list of shelters thinking that I was helping. And he just, he had a big sigh. He was a uh, homeless vet in his in his 50s at that point. He take a, took a big sigh uh, and said, Son, uh, shelters are good places to get stabbed, good places to uh, to get your stuff stolen, or good pl- good places to get tuberculosis. So he already knew all of the options, and they were not options. You know, they were warehouses. Um, and he actually felt safer and more more secure of a future if he took a different option. And for him, that was sleeping on the street in the People short, medium term. People talk a lot term. about that. They talk a lot about feeling safer where they know areas are covered by CCTV, mm-hmm. where I imagine, obviously, those rooming houses are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also... It's if you think about the bottom of the rental market in Melbourne mm-hmm. and then magnify that, you can probably imagine, start to imagine how terrible these places, what the condition of these places, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a long history of scholarship where people talk about uh, the welfare state and also the, uh, the sort of outsourced charity as ways of sort of warehousing and controlling where people can be, not actually necessarily helping them or giving them uh, a leg up in the long run. So it's a human rights issue, basically. Mm. Yep, yep. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Uh, and the other thing about some, all of these laws is, um, along with the help that they're supposed to bring in, which is never enough, uh, the language of civility, the language of quality of life, uh, blah 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 blah, dehumanises people. Uh, in the meantime, you know, it's just it's shocking that a Lord Mayor of a city as big as Melbourne would refer to people as an open sore, you know, mm. and that language of filth and disgust and uh, and abjection is, has always been used to control people's movements. I mean, that's how uh, the Nazis talked about the Jews. Um, and it's not a stretch and it's not hyperbole to say that the same metaphors are used to describe homeless people and to the same you know, at its extreme to the same consequences, you know. And, uh, it's okay to get rid of them. Yeah, and people talk about housing them in camps, you know, and for some people, at a, you know, at a distance from the issue, uh, it, that seems like a logical way of thinking about the problem, you know. It's interesting. I went to one of the uh, uh, extend, uh, defend and extend public housing uh, rallies mm-hmm. and uh, um, and uh, as someone said to me... Uh, Actually, 1970s public housing arrangements in Australia was A1, mm-hmm. the the A1 standard in the world. Mm. We knew what to do. We did it. Mm-hmm. Why can't we do it now? Mm-hmm. I thought that yeah. was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Because he'd done investigations and uh, there is an answer mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be feudal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know the history in Australia very well, but it... Uh, public housing is often undone by the same sets of, of regulations that deregulate the housing market. So uh, there might not be a... You know, there, there aren't people twirling the moustaches. and Maybe there are. Maybe there are. <laughs> but there aren't, even if there aren't, maybe it still happens. Maybe they're not all men. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, well, exactly. But even if, even if um, there are well-meaning people 
uh, in City Hall that the the same kind of system systemic relationships emerge between the housing market and the deregulation of um, public housing. You know, and it's all shifted over to this thing that's pro-business, that's um, neoliberal, that's profitable. Uh, and so you see places like Melbourne um, or Seattle or San Francisco or New York City, all of these places are places where the housing market is uh, increasingly deregulated uh, and uh, public housing is increasingly replaced with open market um you know, housing vouchers. So really, it's not it's not mm-hmm. the homeless people that need to explain themselves. It's actually the big end of town that needs to explain itself. Oh, I would agree completely. Yeah, but tonight something big's going to happen, isn't mm-hmm. it? Down at yep. So tonight there will be a rally at the state library at eight o'clock, uh, and a subsequent camp out, uh, and uh, it'll be on the night of White Night, which is a, a big touristy event in Melbourne. Uh, so in the midst of all of this tourist money being spent, uh, it seems like a good time to to call attention to the people who are not ben- not getting the benefit of all that tourist money. No, mm. I mean, they're going to be there from 8 to 6, but mm-hmm. 8, 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as supporters and people who want to be part of it can come in and out. You don't have to stay for the entire time. That's right. Come uh, If you can bring your sleeping bag, because it's it's not illegal yet, uh, um, if you can't come at eight for the rally, come down and, and we'll, ha- we'll have speakers for the rest of the night. Uh, we're encouraging people to bring uh, donations of whatever sort. So one of the big things that's uh, almost the most insidious part of the, the new ordinance uh, is not just the ban on sleeping rough, uh, but the education campaign that the public, uh, that the, the city wants to do. They want to uh, reach out to the public and try and get them to stop donating things directly to homeless people and instead direct them to a quote unquote more appropriate. But as someone oh, called it, not the salvos. Yep, yep, that's right. <sighs> and if you think about it, that's almost the most insidious thing. It's like the anti feeding laws in the US. So, uh, it's about keeping people from reaching out to each other individually. Mm. Yeah. It's about dividing people. Yeah, um, so that they're not real people. Mm-hmm. So we're encouraging people to come. To the state library, if you can sleep out, please do bring your bring your sleeping bag. It's not illegal yet. We'll be, we'll be having a speak out. You can hear from people who've been sleeping rough what it's like. Learn more about the situation, and then bring blankets, food, uh, backpacks, uh, socks. Bring anything that might be useful to donate, and we'll be encouraging people uh, to help each other directly and share uh, in contravention of uh, this public. Uh, campaign to keep people from sharing. It's part of a major campaign, isn't it? That's a pretty amazing mm. when that's a radical act, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're on 3CR, Solidarity Breakfast. We've come to the end of the show. Thanks very much, David, for coming in and talking to us. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, great. Um, what did we have on the show? Well, we started off talking about public transport. Um, the RTBU has got a campaign to um, try and make public transport free again since we're paying public. for it. Public, public. yes. Mm. Um, so instead of paying it for it twice, um, we also had a piece by Vivian, um, which was the rally by Friends of the Earth, uh, which was for renewable energy. Some people who are not afraid of renewable energy. That's right. It <laughs> won't bite you. This is the week that was was on. Kevin told us all about what happened this week. And of course, we spoke mm. to uh, David Giles about uh, homelessness in uh, laws in America mm. and their creepy, insidious nature in Melbourne. Don't forget to come with your sleeping bag to the steps of uh, 
uh, State Library this tonight, 8 to 6. Uh, it is White Night, but uh, there will be a space for the sane at the homeless people sleep out at the steps of State Library. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. Giselle's busily making sure that it's right. Don't forget to subscribe to 3CR. You can ring 94198377 and keep us on the air. We're going to go out with uh, Nothing Is What It Seems by Heidi Elvar. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.